0: As Jeff said, we are wrapping up our series today called Love Does. Hasn't this been a fun series to be a part of? You have to say yes. Come on. No. no. <laughs> We've been talking about this whole month about how do we bring love to life? How do we not just have it be a theory, a concept that kind of exists out here or that we read in Scripture? But what does it really look like in the daily life that we live and the day to day interactions we have with people? And we started off by talking about just breaking the routine and, and being and doing surprising things and that that really that brings love to life. Then we also talked about how can we just do it in simple ways. It doesn't always have to be crazy, expensive, and extravagant. It can just be very simple to be open to what God is doing in the moment. Then we talked about that love is also not always just easy. As a matter of fact, love is usually difficult and challenging. And last week we talked about persistence. Where do you need to be and stay persistent so that that love would be brought to life in somebody who's maybe rejected that love? And this week, we're gonna talk about, as Jeff said, a difficult topic uh, which really talks about love and how do we bring love to life when it's inconvenient. Now, if you really think about love, is it ever really convenient? I mean, it is convenient at times when you think about people that are gonna reciprocate that love, but typically it's inconvenient because it costs something. It comes uh, from us that we need to give something away, and, and maybe it comes at our time and our schedule and money. How do we love when it's inconvenient? And today we're going to address a difficult and challenging topic, but one that I think God is calling us to look into. Today is Freedom Sunday. Maybe you saw that as you came in, or, or maybe you now see it on the screen. What is Freedom Sunday? It's a day where we are joining together with hundreds, actually thousands of other churches to look at this great social injustice of our day of human trafficking. And uh, we're part of a movement of churches called the Church of God uh, with headquarters in Anderson, Indiana. And last year at this time, our general director uh, shared with our entire movement of churches that we're going to be looking at this Sunday as a day where we're going to raise the awareness of this great social injustice called human trafficking. And together, we're going to unite with other churches in doing something about that. And so this morning, we want to take some time to to lean into this topic, to open our eyes to see what this is about. Now, you may not know or maybe you're not too familiar, with the term human trafficking, or maybe we think about it as uh, illegal border crossings, but really the way to think about this word human trafficking and what this is, it's modern day slavery. It's modern day slavery. And here's another definition that goes a little further. It involves controlling a person through force, fraud, or coercion to exploit the victim for forced labor, sexual exploitation, or both. now, it's saying a lot of things, but it's basically someone being held against their will or used against their will, trapped in a situation, either for forced labor or sexual exploitation. And this is just a a, a, rampant, a rampant epidemic, actually, in our world. And, and what many of us probably don't even realize is that there are more people held in slavery, in some form of slavery, today than there ever have been in the history of the world. And it's 2015. Does that... Kind of strike you as surprising? I mean, we think we live in in this society, in this world, and we kind of look around and think, okay, maybe that exists in certain pockets, but but is it really that prevalent? What does that really look like? Let me tell you a few um, statistics here about human trafficking. Every eight seconds, someone is sold into slavery. Every eight seconds, someone is sold into slavery. Every eight seconds. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. The State Department estimates that between 600 to 800,000 children, women, and men are trafficked across international borders annually. More than 30 million slaves in our world today. 100,000 enslaved in the U.S. alone. Those estimates can be upwards of that to 200,000 and beyond. We don't have firm numbers. It's not like people register and saying, I have have a slave in my home or I'm dealing with this. It's a hidden issue, and so it's sometimes hard to understand the scope of it. But when the statistics break down of those that have come to the surface, 80% are female, 50% are minors, and 70% of the cases have to deal with sexual exploitation. So if you look at those statistics, what it tells us is it's predominantly women and it's also predominantly children. But it doesn't Matter. It's men and women, different races, different, different cultures. And we see all these numbers and, and we kind of go, what, what does that even look like? What does that look like in our world today? It takes many different shapes and many different forms. I mean, maybe your mind thinks specifically of, of prostitution, and that is a, definitely a form of human trafficking, that, that there are women especially caught in this trap that they can't get out of and, and being coerced and forced into this. It's pornography. It's uh, It's child abuse and and child molestations and and, and literal captivity. It's people being forced to serve against their will in homes or in factories. It's forced labor. It's child labor. It even takes the form of of, um, adoption trafficking. And there's other places where, you know, I've just read stories, and as I've tried to uh, find out more about this topic, because quite frankly, I'm not an expert in this topic. I don't speak to you as somebody who has the knowledge of this. I'm speaking to you as somebody who's done some research, who's leaned into this, who's trying to learn about this as this was a topic to be raised on this Freedom Sunday. And the stories that I'm reading and the things that I'm hearing, they're heartbreaking. They're powerful. I was exposed to some of this when I was at International Justice Mission. It's an organization in Washington, D.C. I was there earlier or this past year in May. And they are committed to fighting injustices around the world to standing with the powerless uh, in court systems that are abusive, to help free um, hu- people from human tra- trafficking and, and the sex trade. And uh, when we got into their lobby, one of the things they had in the lobby was this, this odd-shaped kind of box-looking thing. And what we found out is the reason they have that sitting in their lobby is this is where they rescued one of the victims from. This was where they would have to stay. They would have to be boxed up in this tiny little thing and spend a good part of their days there until they were called out and used for whatever purpose they were needed for. We hear stories of being, people being kept, literally, in dog cages. There's a story from a, a prosecuting attorney in, in, in Indianapolis who talks about a girl uh, being she's, she's uh The attorney is responsible for prosecuting human trafficking cases that come through Indianapolis. And she talked about this girl, BA, who was who was as a young girl brought into a situation where she was being exploited for her body and for sex. And every day before she would be sent out of the house, her her captor had her kiss a bullet. And it was a reminder that if you run, this bullet will kill you. And people might say, Well, she was free to go, she could have taken off. There are so many um, psychological pressures, social pressures, there's issues of of self-worth and and, and just being wrapped up into this industry that that sometimes makes it very, very difficult, usually makes it very, very difficult to break out. But when we hear these numbers and we hear these statistics, it's easy to just kind of write it off. I mean, if you think about the news and you see all the atrocities atrocities that are happening and, and all these challenging things, you just want to go change the channel. And kind of go, I, I don't want to deal with it. And then you change the channel, and you end up on some screen where there's a really really sad puppy dog, and Sarah McLachlan singing in the background. You're going, man, it's everywhere. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, we just want to turn it off, and we just want to block it out, and say, I'd rather not be exposed to this. I'd rather not come to church on a Sunday morning, and maybe hear about that stuff. I just, just, just give me something good to feel good about. But the reality is, it's here and it's present. But when we see these numbers, and we see numbers of hundreds and thousands, or we see numbers of millions, and it. Just kind of gets lost, and it's this blur of of information, and maybe it feels like it's ha- happening out there and away from us. This morning, we want to make you aware and let you understand and see that it's re- really happening up close, and it's happening personally here. We have somebody in our church. Actually, she was singing in the worship uh, is singing in the worship team this morning. Her name is Kristen Bracy, and she's committed her life being educated and learning about uh, social injustices and how to fight human trafficking, and she's working on uh, a couple of degrees in that field here in in Phoenix. And uh, But more than learning about these issues, she's getting close, and she's, she's she's here to tell us a story to help us see that it's not just happening out there, it's happening right here. Let's take a look.
1: An estimated 199,000 kids are trafficked in the United States every year. This is the story of one. So when Callie was 14, she was a freshman in high school. She had a really rough home life. Her parents weren't um, very present in her life. She didn't really excel at school. um, And she, like most other freshmen in high school, was pretty insecure until she met this boy, and he made her feel so special, and he told her she was beautiful, and that she should be a model. He was a bit older as well, um, which is one of the things that attracted Callie to him. One day, um, after a long time of dating, and having fun, and, and buying her things, he suggested that they go on the road, and try to make it. He wanted to be a rapper, she wanted to be a model, and so she agreed. So at the age of 14, Callie dropped out of high school and went with this boy. For a little while things were pretty great. Um, They lived the high life, they traveled, they saw different cities, until one night uh, this boy told her that he ran out of money and that in order to stay on the road and to stay with him she was gonna have to pull some weight. That was the first night that Callie was sexually exploited. So from that point on uh, her life was pretty much a nightmare. She went from having this beautiful, perfect relationship to feeling like this person was the most terrifying person she'd ever met. He had total control over her. Um, He would use violence as a way to control her. She would experience violence from the other girls that were traveling with them. And she would also experience violence from the people who were exploiting her. In order to cope with the violence and the exploitation that Callie experienced every day, she became addicted to drugs. And the drugs were the things that would get her through all of the experiences that she was having. Unfortunately, by her early 30s, she was so addicted to drugs, and she was so beat up, and she had been in this life for so long um, that she was thrown away by her trafficker because he basically told her that she wasn't good for this anymore, um, which made her feel like she was good for nothing. So because of the things that happened to Callie and because of the place that she had found herself in at that moment, she really felt like, and I'm sure that you feel the same way, that her story's hopeless. Because she went from this innocent, beautiful 14-year-old girl with dreams and hopes for the future of being a model or being anything, to a violent, angry, hardened, and broken person with no support system, no way out of the situation she's in, homeless, without an education, without any employable skills, and nowhere to go. You may hear Callie's story and think that this is unique. Unfortunately, this is a similar story that happens to hundreds of women in Phoenix every day. Trafficking is an injustice that takes on many forms. There's no particular gender or race. Um, There's no profile for the perfect trafficking victim. Uh, Trafficking takes place in Scottsdale, Glendale, Mesa, Phoenix, Tempe. The scary part is it's happening in our own backyard.
0: I feel weird to hear Scottsdale, Phoenix, Tempe, when we hear those cities listed that are familiar, that are all around us. And it's like this reality that. that that maybe we don't see or encounter on a daily basis, but it's here and it's prevalent, as we heard in Callie's story. But you might be sitting here thinking, why, why do we need to address this as a church? I mean, it's a great social issue and, and it's important, but, but why do we need to address this on a Sunday morning or why address this as a church at, at all? It's great that people are doing that. Here's the thing, the, the theme of liberation of freeing people from entrapment, from slavery, is actually a theme that is probably one of the major themes, if not the major theme of Scripture. We don't have to think far back if if, uh, you think about the Old Testament and the story of the people of God who who found themselves as slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. And it wasn't until God sent Moses as their great liberator to come and to take on the power structure that was Pharaoh to free the slaves. And it became this, this theme all throughout Scripture of this, this liberation and this freedom that God wants to bring people, that we are not to, be, to live in bondage to anything, slaves to sin, slaves to people, but that we ought to be able to live free. And then we move into the New Testament and, and, and Jesus comes. And here's how important this issue is to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he says this is his mission. He's in the synagogue. And, and and he's there, and they're they're handing him the, the scroll to read that morning, which was the scripture reading for that day. And Jesus is handed the scroll, and it's in Isaiah. And here's what it's he reads. And Isaiah, I mean, it, he reads from Isaiah, and we read about it in Luke chapter four, where this happened. The scroll is handed him, and after he finished reading, he says, "This has been fulfilled in your hearing." He's saying this thing that's been talked about, that's been prophesied. This is me. And here's what he read: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me." For he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll and handed it back and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, this was the cause, this was the reason that I have come, is to free the oppressed from their oppressors. It's a matter and a concern that is close to the heart of Jesus. And we are are his continuing mission and ministry today, right? The church continues the cause of Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at this issue that we are highlighting here in Freedom Sunday, the reality is it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to look at this topic, but it's also inconvenient to think about other ways that we are called to love. And we're going to dial into that here just a little bit more into God's Word in just a moment. But the worship band is going to prepare us to really open our heart and our eyes eyes to hear what God would have to say to us this morning. So let's stand together and uh, let's prepare for what God has for us.
2: I'm going to teach you a new song this morning that is kind of our prayer uh, for the day. And In the, in the chorus it says, open up our eyes and, and shine your light. And this morning it is our prayer that our eyes would be opened. This uh, This task can sometimes seem a little bit too big, you know, and we f- think about fighting injustice, but in this verse it says, stronger is the one, and greater is the one, mighty is the one, and that is our God, so I invite you this morning to just uh, to sing along with us as we worship our God, and may this become your prayer as well. would shine into the darkness, and, and you would show us areas where we need to jump in and love, whether it be inconvenient, or easy, or simple, or simple, or teach us this morning to have open eyes like you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
0: Amen. You may be seated. We're going to look at a story today from Luke chapter 10, and I'm not going to have a lot of the scriptures up on the screen for you so you can uh, follow along on your, in your Bibles or on your phones or wherever you may have that, or just listen in to this story. It's not an easy topic that we're dealing with today, and, uh, it, but I want to take a look at how Jesus would approach this and teach us what love looks like in these difficult situations. And so the story in Luke chapter 10 is set up like this. A man comes to Jesus and he's asking him, well, you know, what, what must I do? Do to, to have eternal life? What must I do to follow God? He's just wanting to know, what does it mean to really, to really be a follower? And then Jesus asked him, well, what, is the, what, what does the Bible say? What does the, the law command? And he says, well, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Yes, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that's right. Right. These are the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We do those two things. We are walking in the plan and in in the commandments of God. But then the man had a specific question. Well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes and gets ready to tell this story that we find in Luke chapter 10. And I want to just read this beginning passage to you. And then we'll jump into it in a little more detail. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So this is the context that that Jesus paints for the story that he's going to teach us now. What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does love look like in this situation? Now, we're not in that story, in that history, in that moment, but the reality is Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And he's telling them about a man who left from Jerusalem, a Jewish man, on his way to Jericho, and he gets beat up and left on the side of the road. Now, to make it maybe a little bit clearer for us, let's just imagine that this happened on 124th and Shea, right here on the corner, right? Is that the right corner, right over there, right about there? So it's Sunday morning, and maybe last night or early in the morning hours, uh, some crime happened. And there was a a man who who was walking along, and all of a sudden, somebody came, beat him up stole all his money. He's bleeding. He's laying on the side of the road. They've actually stripped him naked. They've left him vulnerable, hurt, completely depleted, and he's laying there. But good thing it's Sunday morning because here comes Pastor Mark on his way to church. And as he's walking along, Pastor Mark sees this man, but what does he do? Well, let's find out. Jesus describes it this way. It wasn't Pastor Mark, but it was a priest that came came by first. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So here comes Mark on his way to church, the pastor of this this church, and and here I go, and I don't have time for that. I noticed it. I saw it, but you know what? It's Sunday morning. I got to get in here. There's things to do. I've got to get into the office. I mean, we have church today. We have to tell people about Jesus' love. We have to talk about love does, but nobody's got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I know you're thinking it, so I just had to come and say it. If you, <laughs> That's going to be the message title for the day. Ain't nobody got time for that. It's inconvenience, right? And so I just came, and I, and I went about my business. But here's the good news. The story goes on. It says a temple assistant, a Levite, came by. So the good news is Joe Webb comes by, our worship pastor. We know Joe. He's got a heart the size of the moon, and he's just is going to love people. So he walks by, and sure enough, he sees the man too, because he has to turn right there when he comes in. And as he turns the corner, he notices, and, and actually, he does go a little closer. He goes and takes a closer look, and, and the man is maybe hopeful, but Joe's running late. Joe's got to lead worship this morning. He's got, he's, he, he, can't, he doesn't have time to be inconvenienced. He's got to run the band rehearsal. We've got to get the hosts, we've got to get everybody ready this morning. And so the man lays there. The same way that we hear this story and kind of go, that's just wrong. <laughs> when you're a pastor for crying out loud. You're, you're, a, you're a worship leader. You, you guys ought to be the first people to lean in. And that's exactly how the people that heard the story for the first time felt. How can the Jewish priest and the temple worker not help a fellow brother and neighbor who's laying there? And so what we see in the situation is a great injustice has occurred. And today we're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about these issues where people can't fend for themselves or maybe they've gotten wrapped up in a system that is exploiting them sexually for their work, for other things, and, and, and for money. What do we do? And, and just like this, this person that was caught by bandits, beaten up, wounded, abused, and pretty much how much dignity is there left when you're laying on the side of the road, naked, stripped, beaten, bleeding, nothing left, helpless. You can't even get up. It's, it's a victim. As somebody who's vulnerable. And in this situation, you know, as Jesus is talking about, well, yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does love look like in this situation? It obviously didn't look like the priest. It didn't look like Pastor Mark going by, going speaking and preaching love, but not doing it. It didn't look like the temple assistant going by and not doing anything. What does it look like? And then Jesus continues to twist the story. And then that next section, it says, then a despised Samaritan came along. A despised Samaritan. That doesn't mean maybe anything for us in our context. But maybe in the, in the heat and the tension of our religiously charged and politically charged environment, in our situation, it would be, well, Mark and Joe didn't help the man. But you know who did? It was a foreigner visiting, a Muslim man, who he was here in Scottsdale, and he was driving down. and he couldn't believe what he saw on the side of the road and he's the one who came over and he also took a look but unlike the other two here's what he did when he saw the man he felt deep pity see what happened was it became something more than just something to talk about a situation, something that happens out there it became something personal and, and somehow it got a hold of his heart and he felt deep pity. He felt, he felt something. He heard these stories. You know, we hear these stories of human trafficking. We put a name and a face on it, and, and is it going to penetrate our heart at any level? Is it going to go a little bit deeper? And this man felt great pity, and he didn't just pass on, though. He could have at that point said, man, that's really too bad for this guy, and I wish him well. I really don't have time. He was probably just as busy as somebody else. Maybe Maybe he was here on vacation, and he had some plans to do some fun things. Maybe he was here, and he had some business appointments, things to take care of, and he was on his way. It's inconvenient, but something grabbed a hold of his heart. And then it says this, Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. I mean, now he's, getting, he's taking it personal. He's not just talking about it at a distance. He's not just talking about it as a problem. It's sometimes so easy for us just to kind of sit back and and at a distance kind of acknowledge some of the problems and the issues of our day. Peter Greer, who wrote Spiritual Danger of Doing Good, he says this, it's much easier to know the right answers when you are away from people and their situations. Isn't that true? Man, we have great answers when we just kind of heard a little news clip and a news buzz and we think we're experts and we think we post on Facebook like we can solve the world's issues. We know the solution to human trafficking. We know the solution to the people on the street and and what they're dealing with with the homeless, if they would just X, Y, and Z. But we do it from a distance. Things change when things get personal, when we get closer. And I remember uh, leading a trip of our students um, when I was a youth pastor years ago. We took them to to Atlanta to a mission called Church on the Street. And we lived, and we took these students, and we lived in, in the homeless shelter with the people that lived there. And we served them food, and we got to know them. And you know what's amazing? When you begin to hear their stories, things change. You begin to see yourself in that person. You start realizing, man, we're not that much different. These were people also who had ambitions, who had hopes, who had dreams, who were maybe pursuing some things, but but maybe they made a bad decision. Fortunately, we've never made any bad decisions. But they have. Maybe they just had some great greater consequences. Or maybe it had nothing to do with the bad decision they made. Maybe they were victims of an environment. Maybe they were, were abused. Maybe they were trapped in a situation like this in human trafficking. And you, beget, you begin to hear their stories. And all of a sudden, things change. We're not, we're not just speaking from a distance. So the man gets down and he gets close and begins to bandage his wounds. And he starts saying, what is the greatest point of need? Where can I help? Right at that point. And he actually gets his hands dirty puts his schedule aside, he puts his time aside, and he begins to bandage up those, those wounds. And in that act of just even physically watching him get down to help somebody, he's taking on the position of a humble servant, of one who's willing to say, I'm willing to inconvenience myself, set aside my schedule, my time, and I'm going I'm to serve, I'm going to help, I'm going to put love in action in this very inconvenient situation. And the story continues. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Let's bring it back to 124th and Shea. The man put him in his BMW. His BMW, the one with the lease on it, you know, the one that he can't afford, but has to have other people help see that he can't afford it. Ouch. Just don't get any blood on my seats. It's a lease and I can't afford to pay this doesn't matter. You know, he put him on his donkey. This is the man in the story. He gave up his seat and he says, you know, I'm going to put this guy first. I'm going to put him in the back of my car. I'm going to take him somewhere. And what he does is he puts him in his car and he begins to drive him off. He says, I'm going to find the nearest hotel, a place where this man can be comfortable and I'm going to begin to take care of his needs. And as you can imagine, he's now spending time with this person. Maybe, hopefully at this point, the man was coherent, could maybe at least tell a little bit of what's happening. And he begins to hear his story and they begin to spend some time together, it doesn't say this in the story, but, but that's what will happen if you spend some time together with somebody. And he was willing to inconvenience himself. He was willing to pay the cost to pay for the lodging for him there at that hotel. And he spent time with him. And we think, man, this guy is going far. <laughs> See, love is easy when it fits in, when it's going to be reciprocated from somebody, and they're going to pay it back, and I do something nice for you, and the next time you'll do something. Something nice for me, and and you know, I know if I take care of my wife and show her lots of love, hopefully she'll show some love and back. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> yes, I said that in church. Of course, you guys don't do any of that. Um, it's easy when it gets reciprocated, but it's not so easy when it comes at an inconvenience, when it comes at a cost. But the man continues to go further, and Jesus seems to. Say Say, look, love just keeps going. Love is persistent. Love just does. And here's how Jesus continues the story. Not only did he take him to the inn and he took care of him there, he said the next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Basically, he said, here's my credit card number. (laughs) Whatever he needs, you take care of this guy until he is restored until he's back to health, until he's back on his feet, until he can continue back on his journey. I'm not just going to kind of do a little thing, throw a little tip at it. I'm going to actually commit to engaging this journey and following this journey with this man. I mean, it's a powerful example of what can happen when we are willing to get closer to the situation, when we're willing not just to change the channel, not just to block it out, not just to make some great grandiose statements on Facebook or wherever about what all the solutions are, but we say, you know what, I'm gonna Put a face to it. I'm gonna to get to know somebody in these inconvenient situations. And maybe it's not human trafficking that's your issue that you're gonna be dealing with. But maybe it's something else that's inconvenient. Maybe it's a coworker who's just the annoyance of the office and always seems to be just having issues and troubles. And instead of just avoiding, maybe we take the turn and say, This is gonna be really inconvenient, but I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna to get to know that person and I'm gonna stick with this. I'm gonna help them through. Maybe it's a friend a neighbor, a classmate, a teammate. Maybe it's somebody on the side of the road where instead of just giving something, maybe you say, I'm going to try to build a relationship here and just see how God might use me in this situation. I'm going to let this become more personal. Around this issue of human trafficking, let me just say again, there is no intention here to put any sense of guilt on us because I'll just say for myself is I'm learning about this as, as maybe some of us are this morning. And maybe it's just now that we have some knowledge, maybe we begin to process, what is it that we can do? But the goal is to make it more personal, to put a face on it. People have stories, and we need to learn and listen to those stories. Now now, now get this, and see if you agree. Love becomes less inconvenient when it becomes personal. Love becomes less inconvenient when it becomes personal. Is that true? Because now you know somebody and sometimes it becomes more inconvenient because now you're actually going to engage that situation. But as far as once you begin to get to really know someone's story and know their heart, you begin to engage that. Now you're saying, I I want to do something about that. I want us to continue with the story that Kristen was sharing and just letting us know what does it look like as she got more personal, as it became a part of that relationship with Callie and what does it look like when a person can get involved and get closer. Let's take a listen.
1: So Callie's in this really hopeless place, and because of that, she began to prostitute herself to feed her addiction as a way to escape. Um, Callie was arrested for multiple reasons. She had charges for prostitution, charges for drug possession, and charges for other things, like theft. And so now Callie was labeled as this criminal, um, and she was good for nothing. The last time that Callie was arrested on a charge of prostitution, she was given the option to do jail time or to enroll in a diversion program, which is uh, Phoenix offers a 10-week program in which women can come and talk about trauma, substance abuse, domestic violence, and other things, which is a group that I run every week uh, through Catholic Charities, and that's where I met Callie. At first she was really rough around the edges. She was violent, angry. She didn't want to hear anything we had to say. And it was really hard uh, to break through to Callie because she carried a lot of pain and anger with her. She felt really hopeless. I have no job, no employable skills because I've done one thing my entire life. I have a criminal background that will stop me from getting a job. I have no license or ability to drive to get me anywhere I need to go. And I have no education. So it was hard to make Callie believe that she was able to achieve something greater because no one else had ever told her that in her life. But over time, as Callie kept coming to Diversion and kept meeting with her case manager and kept hearing messages that she was worth it and that she could achieve more, she began to believe it as well. We were able to get Callie stable housing We were able to give her some of the resources that she needed to become sober and to stay sober. She joined a network of survivors that mentor other girls who are struggling to get out of the life currently. And Callie is now a high school graduate working on her college degree at the age of 43. The compelling and amazing thing about Callie's story is that she's using all of those broken experiences that she had, all the trauma, the pain, and the violence that she experienced, and instead of allowing it to defeat her, she's using it for the good of others and and other women and girls in the city as a message of hope for them as they struggle to get out of this life as well. I felt called to fight human trafficking um, because it breaks my heart to hear about women who are told that they're good for nothing or that someone's preying on uh, the most vulnerable part of a woman's identity and using that to exploit them. It's not just women, it's kids. And I think oftentimes we forget that kids turn into women. And there are a lot of women that I've worked with who started out as a trafficked kid and that breaks my heart because that means that they've spanned so many years of of not having support, of not having someone come alongside them and tell them that they deserve better or that they could be something different if they wanted to. I guess I don't know. I've made this my life because I know the stories and I know the faces and and I know that, wow, well, I know that women who are looked at as criminals are people. And they're people first, and they're mothers, and they're sisters, and they're daughters, and they're just like us. For me as a Christian, I look at Jesus' life, and what I see is, is that he had a heart for people who were broken and who, who were hopeless. Um, And that's what I see when I work with these women. This is the social injustice of our day. And I think that it's important as the church that we allow ourselves to get in the mess, to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. For me, I moved across the country. I uprooted myself and my husband um, to come over here so that I could be more involved in this cause, so that I could become more educated and so that I could do something about it. And I never regret that. I never regret the long hours. I never regret the secondary trauma of hearing stories and um, just feeling broken for people and the things that they've experienced in their life. I think Jesus calls us to the mess. I think that He wants us to allow our lives to be inconvenient and allow our lives to be broken for other people as He was broken for us. Um, That's messy and it hurts. And it takes a lot of energy sometimes, and it takes the support of a community. But it's worth it, and I think that's what we're called to do. Especially to people who can't do it for themselves.
0: It's powerful when we hear, it's powerful when we hear the story of the impact of one person surrendering and committing to that. There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So we're confronted with the situation and we kind of go, man, what do we do? (laughs) It's Freedom Sunday. Is there something that that we can do in the situation? And and sometimes it feels overwhelming. and, And the reality is, hard if you just kind of want to say, hey, I just want to be involved and and let's make a difference, let's make a huge difference in in human trafficking. It's actually not a very easy thing to get involved in because those systems run deep and those injustices are are strong and and we don't want to go into a situation and rush into some some strip club and pull somebody out or confront somebody in downtown Phoenix uh, who's a pimp or a john and go, come on, we're taking you down. I mean, that might not be a bad thing, but we may do more harm and we'll likely do more harm than good. There's a process of educating and learning and, and finding the right ways to build trust and relationships. So it might seem like, what, what can we do together on, on a day like this? What is it that we can do? Well, let me just start first personally and, 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 and realizing that there are some things that we can do on a preventative side. Actually, one of those is this industry, especially in, the, in the, the sex industry, is driven by profit and is driven by demand. And one of, the, one of those things that drives that demand is prostitution and pornography. And so while some of us here may think that sitting behind a screen is a, is a victimless crime and we're just kind of doing our, our own thing and it doesn't affect anybody, just indulging in some way, it's creating demand and it's creating victims on the other side. And while this is a topic for another day, I think it's important to address that here, that it is in direct relationship to what is happening all around us and happening in these places. But another thing preventatively that we can do is as as I think about how many of these instances begin with victims when they are still young or in their early teens or as children. And I think about our children's ministry here and I think about our youth ministry here and I think about the importance of reaching students and and, and when I see our student leaders and the adults that are giving of their time in the student ministry and the children's ministry saying we want to befriend and build relationships with these children and with teens and, and give them value, give them hope, teach them about the importance of right relationships and who they are and, and surround them in a community that g- gives them that right foundation and that footing. This is an important call for us as a church. But it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be inconvenient for some of us to say, you know, you know what, I don't have time to serve the students. I don't have time to give up my Wednesday night or my Sunday night or, or, to, or to miss a, you know, a church service to, to, to be in with the students or to help in the children's ministry. Love is inconvenient. But it's so important, and we can do something on that front preventatively. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a greater commitment of, of taking in a foster child. Some of these abuses occur through the fostering system. Others occur through adoption systems. And we can take children into homes, and if you are called by God to do that, he puts that in your heart, God bless you. Lean into that and, and be somebody who, who, who addresses the situation. Or maybe you just say, you know what, I, something deeper that you do want to get more. More personally involved and, and you can talk with with Kristen. she's got a table that's set out kristin cody are out there and and others that you can talk to to say what could i do how can i get involved what are some channels for me to to make this more personal i want to do something about that those are some practical ways and there's ways that you can get more information and there's links to to learn more to read more to hear more but we also have another opportunity this morning with freedom sunday and it's this when we were as i mentioned when this was challenge came out to the church of god uh, our, our, our church tribe with hundreds of thousands of churches around the United States, was that we want to make a significant impact in this issue. And Freedom Sunday was about calling together the churches to address this issue, but more than that also, to raise $1 million between our churches to go to agencies and to go with partnerships of people who are on the front lines that are doing this kind of ministry and this kind of work. And, and the goal of reaching a $1 million was that there would be 1,000 churches or individuals who give $1,000. $1 million total. Well, right on the spot, our team that was there last year said McDowell's in, we're writing a check for $1,000. And it's great that we were on board with that and right off, the, right off the front. But I believe that we can do more as a church. And I know that that may not have been and felt very personal for some of us. And I think we need to get personal. We need to get down and we need to make it something that, that, that costs, something that, that, that takes something from us because then we, we have an investment in it. And I believe that maybe there's an opportunity here today for some of you to say, I want to do something in, in a financial way. I want it, it's going to cost, I want to do something. And so we've set up a link on our website, mmccaz.com, that says Freedom Sunday, Fight Human Trafficking. And you can log on there, and you can give, and we're going to pool those resources together, and we're going to send it to our national agency, who is going to filter that to four or five um, different, different partnerships. Partnerships like uh, a group called Strip Love in Anderson, Indiana, who's going into the, the strip clubs, befriending these ladies, building relationships and trying to help them out of the, this, this lifestyle that they're trapped in. Or a church, uh, or an organization like uh, Church on the Street that I mentioned that deals with the homeless in Atlanta that comes across situations like this all the time. They will be funded and supported for this endeavor. Another one in Dayton, and there's another one in Dayton, Ohio. There's another one in, uh, in Berlin called The Open Door that's reaching out to women and trapped on the streets of these major cities in these red light districts. And also resources going to a shelter in, in India. As a matter of fact, this shelter was started by the Church of God over 100 years ago to help help young girls get out of situations in an environment and a culture and a climate that was abusing them and exploiting them. And it's still in existence today. And, and we want to come alongside these agencies to really um, help them do better what they are doing and mcdowell mountain wants to be a part of that this morning so there are things that we can do and i just encourage you to log on and do that or maybe on your envelope you want to give in addition to your regular giving and just say human trafficking or freedom sunday and and we'll do that together you know when i think about us as a church and here's the hope there's so many things that we can do preventatively and just what we do in our ministry with children and with youth, but to be the kind of church that's willing to say, we're going to be willing to be inconvenienced for the benefit of others. Where it's darkest, we want to shine our light. It's inconvenient to serve and to give and to do. It's inconvenient to go on a missions trip to the Dominican. You know how it's inconvenient? It's inconvenient because it's expensive. It's inconvenient because it takes maybe a week of your your vacation time. It's inconvenient to go to the bathroom in an outhouse in a porta a potty it's inconvenient to eat foods that maybe you're not familiar with or that you don't like. But love in action brings love to life. Where is God calling you to go where it's inconvenient, to, to take a look and lean into it and say, I want to I do something here. I want to be about bringing love to life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Just listen to the words of God before we pray here. Jesus When he finished that story, he asked the people that were listening, and he said, He asked them this question Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, We're dealing with a difficult topic, and it's hard to imagine that while we sit here comfortably and get to enjoy each other's company and worship, and we shouldn't feel bad about that, God. It is a great blessing and a privilege, and we just thank you. This morning, I just picture a young girl somewhere trapped against her will, forced to do things against her will. Maybe a child that's being forced to serve in an army and a military in a conflict that shouldn't even involve them. Or maybe a a man that's being used in forced labor. Not sure if he'll see his family again. I think about Callie and her story. That's happening all around us here. God, give us eyes to see and to hear. Father, may we unite in the power of prayer this morning that you are the great liberator, you are the great one who brings freedom, and that even when we are powerless to break through these situations, God, you can break through. You can use us, you can use our resources, you can use others who are on the front lines of this ministry. God, I pray for Kristen and their team and others that are working closely here in this city to bring your hope, your freedom, and your healing for those that are in bondage, for those that are trapped. God, would you bring freedom? And others here this morning, who it's, a, it's an entrapment to their own sin. God, would you bring freedom? Would you break those chains? Would your hope and your freedom come this morning on Freedom Sunday? Thank you for being our liberator, and thank you, God, for using us as your people together to bring light and life to our world. In Jesus' name, amen.